0: You're listening to the Boots About Business podcast. We share stories from military veterans that have transitioned to the world of business. On the show, you'll hear conversations with business leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs that all started their careers wearing boots in the service of the U.S. Armed Forces. This podcast is equal parts about sharing great stories, helping veterans, helping businesses, and fostering a greater understanding of the value veterans can bring to business. And welcome everyone to episode number 13 of the Boots About Business Podcast. I am your host, Frank Strong, and here with us today is Gable Eaton. He served in the Marine Corps, including a tour at Eighth and I. We'll get into that on the show. And today is the founder and CEO of a company called Tech Touch. That's T-E-Q, T-O-U-C-H, Tech Touch, a startup out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Welcome to the show, sir.
1: Thank you, Frank. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so very much. And thank you for your service.
0: Yeah. Glad to. Thank you. Glad to have you here. First question I always like to ask is, what inspired you to join the the service? What inspired you to go to the Marine Corps? You know, I'm going to tell you something. I knew when I was a kid, when
1: I was about 13, seriously, I sat down and kind of mapped out my future. But I wasn't really sure what branch of the service I was going to go into until I seen the few, the proud, the Marines. Everyone that I spoke to is like, yeah, Marine Corps, oh, that's a tough branch. Oh, yeah. So, that's where I headed. I headed to the Marine Corps, and it helped that I had a a good friend of mine, had an older brother who was kind of everyone's protector, and the day he came home in his uniform, I was like, oh, yeah, it's the Marine Corps all the way. Yeah, that's
0: <laughs> funny. The uniforms do look good, and they don't change them like everybody else does. Air Force, Marines, Army's the worst. They change their uniform every six months. It's nuts. <laughs> so, and it's expensive. I don't understand, you know? Anyway, we'll you also, you had a tour at 8th and I Barracks. And for those that don't know, tell us a little bit about what 8th and I is, because it, it's a very distinct and proud unit to belong belong to. And then how is it that you wound up there? Okay, so the Marine Barracks 8th and
1: I, it's an honor unit, but let's not get it twisted. It's, you're still a United States Marine, but it's an honor unit that's stationed in Washington, and we're responsible for all of the cordons. We're the Marines that you see opening the door to the Rose Garden. We're the Marines that you see at the helicopters. We're the Marines. We do all of the burials for our fallen. We do all of the ceremonies. And two of the biggest things that we do there are the Tuesday night parades at EWO, at the Memorial, and the Friday night parades there at the barracks, and the star attraction, of course, would be the silent drill platoon. You have a unit that performs with full bayonets, full drill with no commands at all called. So that's the barracks there. That's, that's the duty. It's spit and shine, spit and shine. You're surrounded by everyone all day long. How did I get there? I got there. <laughs> they didn't really tell us what we were interviewing for. It was just a bunch of us out there on the parade deck, about two, 3,000. And I ended up being one of 40 to 50 still standing when it was done. And out of that, they chose eight of us. And after a bunch of investigations by every alphabet in the nomenclature, FBI, CIA, CID, after going through those different investigations, I got chosen to be a part of the unit here, the unit at 8th and I, Marine Barracks.
0: Yeah, and they, they must do a thorough background check just to make sure, because you guys are so high-vis, and you're around dignitaries and important people in Washington, D.C. all the time. They want to make sure they can trust you. And I, I'll tell you, for anybody listening, I have lived in D.C. for 14 years, and a couple times made it over to the Iwo Jima Memorial and saw the evening parade, and that is it's free. It's absolutely fantastic. I don't know what's it's like post-COVID. You probably got to sign up early if they're doing it, but that is, that is worthwhile. That is really fascinating that you wound up at that unit. So you're doing the, the spit and shine thing for a couple of years to bar to your words. And before you transferred, you have a little story that goes with that. You went to, you got transferred, where'd you go? And then what was the story with your, with your transfer?
1: Well, you know, conventional wisdom was if you spent over two years and I'm talking maybe two weeks, three weeks, and you're still at Barrack Studio, that pretty much meant that you were going to finish your entire tour there. So we were there, my um, good friend and I. I always refer to him as my brother. We were there three months past, you know, our two year period. And so we started thinking about what we were gonna do when we exited the Marine Corps. And we decided that, you know, we're gonna open up a Domino's Pizza. We went through all the rigmarole to get the paperwork and understood we'd have to work a year. Well, we took that paperwork because we were still active duty Marines, we took that paperwork to the colonel and asked him to sign off on a fifty thousand dollar loan, just stating that you know we're still <laughs> <laughs> we're still Regular Marines, he kindly asked me to close the door and I'm going to tell you something, I've never seen, our colonel was in excellent shape in the 60s and I've never seen a man 60 plus jump up on a desk as quick as he did and look down at us and ask us who the heck did we think we were. That we were United States Marines and not pizza merchants, and he told us to get out of his office. And two days later, we had our orders to the fleet. Yeah,
0: <laughs> well, you were just in the barracks watching watching the pizza guy bringing these pizza after pizza to all the Marines buying that stuff, and you saw an opportunity. That's all right. It was. It was What's wrong with that.
1: <laughs> it we did. We figured on the weekends. That they had to be doing some incredible numbers from Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Some incredible numbers because we ordered a lot of pizzas. Yeah. You know, and it was coming all the way from Georgetown. and We had a place scoped out and everything right up the streets from the barracks. And because most people don't know, but the Marine Corps barracks at that time, it was in the hood. <laughs> you know, our piece of glory yeah, right yeah. there in that area, you could switch, yeah. switch from daytime to nighttime. And we figured besides the barracks, we're brave, we're United States Marines, we could start delivering pizzas into this area without any fear. So yeah, it was without even doing any demographics research or anything like that. And to our chagrin, two days before we were leaving, we saw a banner go across the building that we wanted and it said, future home of Domino's Pizza. So we were on the right track.
0: <laughs> yeah, so you got bit by the entrepreneurial bug early, so had an opportunity, but Unfortunately, the Marine Corps is not going to let you be a part-time pizza guy while you got a full-time job. (laughs) No, they're not. Slinging slinging rifles around. (laughs) All right. So you're off to the Fleet Marine Corps. And for people that don't know what you mean by fleet Marines, that's just, you're out in the active duty... You're done all your training, and you're assigned to a unit, right? Well, you're done with all of your training before you get assigned any duty. Before we even went to the
1: barracks, so you're you're done with all of your training. I graduated meritoriously out of boot camp, meritoriously out of ITS, and then I went to the barracks. So when I was done at the barracks, I went straight to the fleet, which is the regular fleet Marine Corps, where you're doing all of your training, where you you um starting in your deployments, and when I got there, down to Camp Lejeune. For me, it was just another duty station. I was I was happy. I was happy where I was.
0: Yeah. All right. And then a question I like to ask everybody, what was your worst day in uniform? My worst day in
1: uniform? Hmm. I didn't have too many bad days in uniform. I really enjoyed being a Marine and being in the Marine Corps. There were issues, of course, with anything, but I cannot say, oh, this was a bad day this this really pissed me off you know i think i experienced the same thing that everyone else
0: did yeah i think recruiting command needs to call you because you're you're the poster boy right now never a bad day in the marine corps (laughs) what was your best day the flip side of that question What was the best day in uniform i'm going to tell you something frank i was this
1: is before i was in its i was training for my mos which is Heavy guns. And ITS is the Infantry Training School, right? Infantry Training School. Yes. I was there. Now imagine, I'm 20 years old. It's Friday night. We've trained hard all week. And I went to the E-Club on the base. And in the course, of me being there, I mean, it's packed. The place is packed. I stepped to the door and I looked around. Me. And I saw the barracks. I saw the barracks, the units. I saw the cars in the parking lot. And then I turned around and I looked and I realized everyone in here, even the women, they're here because we're Marines, this is who we are. And I looked around, there was no, the age had to be between the ages of 19 and 23. And I looked around me and I saw everyone and everyone in my eyes landed on, everyone gave you a heads up, hey, how you doing, you're looking around. And I just felt so much a part of something bigger than myself. And I silently said a prayer and a thank you for my mother for preparing me for this. I'm like, I'm a United States Marine. I'm one of these guys in here that's going to protect this country. And I looked around, those are our cars out there. Those are our barracks when we go to sleep, this is us. That was my best day in the Marine Corps, realizing what I had accomplished becoming a part of that service.
0: She's Gable. Send me a contract, man. I'm ready to sign up right now. How do I go? Where do I go? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. So we're starting to think about getting into the uh, the business side of things. A good question to make that transition is: What did what did the service teach you? What did you learn in your time in uniform?
1: I learned I could do absolutely anything. The United States Marine Corps. I think any branch of the service really. Even though I haven't been a part of any of the other branches, I know people that are parts of the other branches of the military. And to the letter to each and every last one of us, men and women, we are prepared. We can adapt. We take those skills that are taught to us. And especially for me being a Marine, I learned that everything that they teach you serves a purpose. So, how does that translate into the business world? Everything that you do, every skill that you were taught from the discipline to operations to making really quick decisions based on limited information, being able to make that transition and transition that over into the civilian life, it was a lot easier for me. I don't get nervous. I don't panic like a lot of people out there in the real world do because for them, they see their jobs and what they're doing as paycheck to paycheck. Well, in the Marine Corps, we weren't thinking about a paycheck. We were thinking about getting the mission done. That's it. Everything else will fall into place once you accomplish that mission. So setting those goals and getting that mission accomplished is what I brought with me from the Marine Corps.
0: Love it. Adapt and overcome. I had a, there's a gunnery sergeant, Gunny Cheris mm-hmm. that was my recruiter. And he had a saying, he used to say, adapt and overcome. He's like, the Marines have been doing so much with so little for so long. We can do anything with nothing. I can still hear him saying that. <laughs> there it is. Almost four years in service, you decided to leave. What was the transition like, and what were your plans for uh, for the civilian world?
1: You know, like I said, when I was 13, I had it all mapped out. But you know what the, how the saying goes. One of my favorite characters, he goes, make the plan, execute the plan, realize the plan is going to go off the rails, ditch the plan. <laughs> yeah. So I made the plan. I was headed to the state police, and marriage, my marriage intervened and it was stay at home, stay at home. You've done that already. So I went into management, I transferred into um, property management, then I went into operations. And I've been in that area ever since until I decided to move here to Chattanooga and work with my family's transportation company. So it was just a succession of jobs in operations. But I did take a small detour and I did some commercial fishing for a year up in Alaska.
0: Really? And
1: Oh, yes, most definitely. That was an adventure.
0: Yeah, like the, what is it, the most dangerous catch? The greatest catch? I'm probably destroying that title <laughs> right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the deadliest catch. They're out there catching those crabs, those king crabs up there. Yeah. I did the salmon runs. I worked on a, they call it a purse seiner. I worked on this purse saner boat up there catching the salmon the pink eyes, the dogs, and then the king salmons. You know, and then I came on back home and got into management where I've been ever since. But that was an adventure of its own.
0: That's fascinating. I'm a Marine. I get into property management. I'm going to take a little detour and go go fishing up in Alaska for, for a while and come yeah. back. So you've been out of service for a while. You've had a long career in business operations, logistics, and then you got this idea to start a business. What is the business and how did you get started? Okay, so the idea for the business, I was taking a business information
1: technology course and they wanted to build a business around it. And I remembered something. I remembered how much I... It's just it just frustrates me for coworkers reaching over your shoulder and touching your computer screen. Now, mind you, Frank, this is before there were interactive touch screens. So my thought yeah. is why are you touching my screen? I have one guy in particular, he would eat these sandwiches and he would stand behind me chewing my ear and he touched the screen and leave food stuff and I said you know I've got to do something about that and I kid you not people ask me how did you come up with the idea it just popped in my head so what it is is I created a device and I got a patent for it in 2016 it's called UTouch. touch basically what it is it's a stylus a wearable stylus that goes on your finger so that you can come in contact with touchscreens out in the public without coming in contact with those germs. That was my idea. I did a small drawing of it, and I took it to a really good friend of mine. And the drawing that he produced from my little rudimentary drawing was the exact drawing that I used to get my patent. Mm-hmm. And I got my patent, like I said, in 2015, but it was all an idea this was all an idea. And when I took that business course and our instructor said that we were going to build a business, it took me about two months in the school when I realized that each and every last one of those chapters I was supposed to be using to build my, my company, the executive orders, the board, and all of that stuff. And I said, oh, am I supposed to be using this information to build my company? Am I instructor looked at me and said, yes, Mr. Eaton, every chapter in this book that we go over, it's going to be an aspect of your company. And that's exactly what started on paper. Uh huh. Awesome. And
0: then I think it's important for people to realize, I guess I've got this in there already, but this is pre-COVID, right? It's just like the germaphobes that don't like people touching screens or we're out in public. And every time you go to a store, there's a different screen you got to touch. You withdrawing money at the ATM if you still do that. I guess everything's electronic these days. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot more touch screens everywhere. It really appeals to maybe the germaphobe. You know, that's what I thought at first.
1: But that really wasn't my target market. Now, conventional wisdom tells you in marketing, you have got to identify your customer. With a product like this, you would think germaphobes. No, it's everyone. Because everyone that I've introduced this product to, sooner or later, they come back to me and they say, you know what? Since I learned your product, I cannot touch a touchscreen. They're disgusting. Not only are they disgusting, they're ubiquitous. They're everywhere. Now, as you stated, this was before COVID-19. Yeah, I had no idea that this was going to happen. I just didn't like touching those touch screens, And from my observation, I knew that they were going to be ubiquitous. They were going to be everywhere. The grocery store, the fast food restaurant, our airports. Everywhere you go, there is a touchscreen or a touchpad. So when you take a look at where we're at right now and you take a look at The information and the studies on how much germs these touchscreens actually house—I don't want to name a corporation—but 100% of their touchscreens came back positive for blood and fecal matter. I mean, I don't want to touch that and then eat
0: my food. Do you want to touch your food? Yeah, it's even even your own phone. You see these studies that come out every now and then. Your own phone is like filthy. You know, you gotta wipe that thing off. (laughs) So, one of the fascinating things about product companies is like, how do you go about? getting something made, you've got an idea, you've got a product that you want to have manufactured. How do you do that? I'm going to tell you something. It's relationships.
1: It's relationships. I've been able to do the things that I've been able to do. It's because of my relationships, my relationships with, for instance, Felicia Jackson, CPR rap. She gave me her manufacturer. You know, you can go online and you can look for a manufacturer, but when you have relationships with different organizations, look at, look at Bunker Labs. I mean, I can pick up the phone and I can call one of some formal military person and say, hey, I need help here. I need to get this done. So you have to really think about your relationships. And that's really hard when you're an entrepreneur, because as an entrepreneur, you're thinking, oh, I can do this. I can do this. You cannot accomplish anything on your own as an entrepreneur. You have got to develop those relationships. I got lucky because my family has a transportation business and I actually walked into a building that we were making a delivery to that was an incubator. And I asked the question, what is this? And they said, it's an incubator. And of course my brother in his deep baritone voice goes, hey Gabe, they can help you start your business here. And I went from zero to a hundred by making those connections with those people at CoStarters. So to answer the question, you have to do the groundwork. I did the groundwork myself. I went out, I got a I, I came up with an idea. I saw a problem, I came up with an idea, a solution. I went out, I got a patent, which is what's ahead of what everyone else is doing. I got yeah. a patent. I already researched the market. I knew what the market was like. And then when I got into that program, I had all of that information that and they gave me the people to speak to, they gave me the contacts. So You have to have the contacts. You have got to speak because it is not an easy thing to get a product made. Yeah. You know, it's a very difficult thing and you have got to be persistent, you know, because there's a thousand ideas out there, but how many people actually get that idea into something physical and actually functional,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It makes sense. So, and I think it's important for people to know that your startup, are you bootstrapped right now? Or, I mean, you've been around for four years, five years. Are you looking for funding?
1: I am bootstrap. Yeah. I am bootstrap. I did receive a $25,000 line of credit when I started and that's when I learned the definition of burn rate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I've pretty much been carrying everything on my own right now. I'm paying all of the bills. I'm trying to build up to have enough sales to actually sustain the business. So yes, I am looking for investors. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't need your money. The money will help. Yeah. You need a team. You see, anybody can throw money at a problem. Money is not going to fix a problem or an issue. It's about the team. And I'm fortunate enough now to have a really good team. I've got someone that's actually volunteering, my CMO. She loves the product so much that she's volunteering her time right now. She will be fully compensated, of course. And then my partner, who also acts as my advisor and then my mentor. I mean, they've helped me establish some of my OKRs and how to reach those results that I need and me incorporating my own discipline. Things get done.
0: Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I've done, you know, I've kicked around the tech space, B2B side, usually software products. Mm -hmm. And one of the things the the VC always say is we invest in the founders. We invest in the people, not necessarily the idea. You know, the idea is important, but they want to know that, it's somebody that can bring that to fruition and execute on it. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that you've worked for a lot of different people. You've had a long career and then decided to break out, start a company on your own. And it's a product company too, which I think is hard, right? And software is kind of like, if you know how to code, you can write code. But product, you need to get materials and resources and figure out how to get those and put them all together and produce a product. Then you got to ship it. It's just, there's a lot more involved there. But the question I have for you is is, that's a huge leap to open a business like that. What advice would you have for veterans thinking about starting a a company of their own? I would tell the veteran this, hey, listen, one, you can do it without a doubt. I already
1: believe you've got it done. Just you see what you want to do, believe in it. And then resources. You have got to use the resources. One of the things I'm most grateful for from having chosen to go into the service, and I add a caveat here, I, I think that every last American needs to spend at least two years in the service. That's just me. I think that discipline would do them well before they went out there into the big world as a civilian, before they went to school or whatever. And it's another thing is we take care of our own. Everything that you need as a veteran, if you wanna start a business, you go find other veterans. You get with those veteran groups, you get with Bunker Labs, you get with other groups of veterans who are actually out there doing it. And that way you have a solid, Foundation. You have people around you that you can immediately turn to because when you try to go it alone out here, you're not going to succeed. Yeah, you know, there's very few that will succeed if you try to go this alone. Get your team together.
0: Yeah, it sounds like sage advice for sure. And um, you know, it's really interesting. I'd never heard of Bunker Labs really before talking to you, and I went out and looked them up. And you know, that's that's an organization entirely dedicated to veterans that are entrepreneurs. It looks really pretty fascinating. We will put a link to that in the show notes. We'll put a link to your website in the show notes. Where else can people find you online? They can find me
1: at techtouch.com. That's T-E-Q-T-O-U-C-H.com. That's where my product is. You can reach me at Gable, G-A-B-L-E, at techtouch.com. Again, it's T-E-Q, techtouch.com. You can find me on Facebook at Touch. You can find me on Instagram at Tech U Touch, T E Q U T O U C H. And you can find me at Gable Eton on LinkedIn and on Twitter, Tech Touch, T E Q T O U C H.
0: Awesome. And, you know, if you're listening, go to the bootsaboutbusiness.com website. We'll put links to all that stuff up there when this interview goes live so you can find it easy. Gable, I want to tell you thank you for your service. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your experience. You know, I love talking to entrepreneurs and the motivation that you have. You've got a double dose of it because you've still got that I remember Marine Corps thing going on. (laughs) You're an inspiration to all those that serve and thinking about their next steps. Thank you so much.
1: And so are you, Frank, so are you. Thank you so very much. I'm so thankful to Melanie for introducing me to you. Just really thankful for that, I am.
0: Yeah, awesome. Cheers, have a great day. Cheers, you too, you have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Boots About Business podcast. Please know you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you catch your podcasts. And while you are there, won't you leave us a nice review? It'll help the show and in turn help other veterans. Finally, if you know someone that's a veteran in business or is an entrepreneur with a story to share, hit us up using the contact form on the show's website. That's bootsaboutbusiness.com. That's all one word, bootsaboutbusiness.com. Until next time, I am your host, Frank Strong, out here.